Well, I don't think you have to live very long in life to feel disappointment and to go through discouragement. And uh, the, the question that I'm going to pose for you that I think is being addressed by God in the book of Habakkuk is what do we ultimately do uh, with disappointment? When you enter those seasons of life, when you are discouraged, when things just don't seem to be going right in your life, and you can be weighed down, what will you do in those moments? And how do you handle those circumstances? In Haggai, you are seeing that situation arise, that uh, what has been what seemed to be the best of times to get to return to the land and to begin to rebuild uh, this, this temple to God, the foundation has been laid, and then there suddenly is resistance. And for 16 years now, there has been no movement or any work on the temple whatsoever. And God's first message in the first chapter of Haggai was that they needed to get back to work and that the priority needed to be on God's house and not on their own houses. And then the second thing that now arises is if you look at the end of chapter one, you will notice that it says that it was the 24th day of the sixth month. And then chapter two, verse one says it's the 21st day of the seventh month. So they've been working for about four weeks now. Not, not very long. They've been just at it a, a little bit. And I want you to notice that God observes something in the hearts of the people that apparently is discouraging that he now wants to address. You'll notice in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? It is interesting to observe because it seems that now that they are four weeks into it, rather than being excited, they seem to be full of discouragement. And God now sends Haggai with this message and he begins by asking a question. Who here is old enough to see the former temple with its former glory? And we know from, from Ezra as well as of Haggai 1, there were some who had been there from when they had seen Solomon's temple and the glory of God in that temple. And now they're, as they are getting to work again, God senses this, this problem that exists because you'll notice he says, says there in the middle of verse three, does it now seem like nothing to you? That's an interesting thing for them to be concerned about. Does it seem like this is not as good? Does it seem like this doesn't have the same glory, the same opportunity, and the same hope? And so it seems there is some disappointment and some discouragement among the people. And I think this is something that we can easily put our finger on and tap into in our lives that Sometimes the reason why we struggle with staying with God and working hard for God is because the future just doesn't look as good as the past. You're able to look at the past and go, it looked really good back then. Things were good back there. And now here I am today and things just do not look as good as they used to be. That seems to be what they're saying is as they're working on this temple, they're going, this just isn't what we had hoped for. 
The, the future doesn't look very good. The, the past looks so much better than what it looks like going forward. And obviously there is a sense by which this is crippling their work. Otherwise, there's no need to send a prophet to ask them about how they're perceiving the glory of this temple. It's clearly demoralizing them that their future does not look as good as what they had in the past. And I think that is something that can be a common problem for us uh, where we feel like the future just simply cannot be as glorious as what God had given before. And I think in the midst of every trial that that is one of the hardest parts is that the future looks dark and bleak and the only light that seems to shine is behind you. (laughs) It's all back there. Everything forward's not looking too good. And you begin to, to grasp and wish, well, why can't things be the way they used to be? Why can't we have that former glory? Why can't we have what we had in the past? When the future seems that that's not going to be able to happen whatsoever. And so I think it's, it's an important thing to put our finger on is that often that's where our discouragement comes from. It's just recognizing that I'm not going to move forward because things just don't look good going forward. I'm just going to kind of live in the past and wish the past was still with me. And and I think that's an important picture because I even think about it in my own life that you can be in a place in your life where you simply feel like there is no way for anything to ever get better in your life going forward. There's no chance. I've sat in that darkness in my late teenage years and early college years with the destruction of my family from sin and the divorce and all of that. And everything is blown to bits. And you just sit there and go, the future can't get any better. Why can't I have the way things used to be? Why can't I have the past when things were good? Because there's no hope in the future and there's no way the future is going to fix any of this. And I think it's interesting to see them kind of sitting here as they're trying to build the temple. And they're going, I don't know if we should continue working on this thing. I don't know that we should keep working hard or going forward because the glory's not there. It's just not going to be the same. And so in that discouragement, God has two messages that he gives to the people in Haggai's day. And I think those two messages are very important to us when we're in discouragement and disappointment in seasons of life. You'll notice what now God answers in verse four. He says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when I came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. I want you to see God's first message. I'm with you. (laughs) How often we need to hear that and how often does God say that in scriptures that this is the place for your strength is to know that God is still with you. So here they are discouraged and they're not moving forward in the work and things do not look very good in their future. It's not as glorious what the past was. And yet God sends a very important message. I want you to be strong and I want you to be strong because I want you to know that I'm still with you. And I think that can be hard. 
Because it's in those times of darkness and in the times when the future doesn't look good that you think, well, God's not with me anymore. God was with me back here when things were great, but now going forward, I don't feel like God's going to be with me. And notice God says, no, I don't want you to think that. I want you to understand that God is with you. And notice the basis by which he says this. I'm stunned by the basis. Look at what he says there in in verse 5. This is what I covenanted to you when you came out of Egypt. Now think about that. That was about 1,000 years ago. Here's God going, I want you to be strong and I want you to know that I'm with you because 1,000 years ago I told you and promised you that I was going to be with you. When I brought you out of Egypt, I said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it's as if God says, and that settled it. (laughs) I don't care that a thousand years have gone by. That promise still remains. I said I would be with you and I am still with you just like I told you. And I think that is so important because I think when you can hear from God say, nothing's changed my promises. Whatever you are going through, those promises have not been affected. In fact, to say it like this, time does not affect the promises of God. And the reason why that I think that's important is because you have places in the New Testament, like in Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 4 and 5, where God says, I've made a promise to you. I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And God can come along right now and say, don't you know I told you that 2,000 years ago? (laughs) Don't you know that I made that promise? Be strong. I'm with you because I said it 2,000 years ago. And if I said it, then it has to be. That's how he's working with the people in Haggai's day. I told you a 1,000 years ago I'm with you. And therefore, you can know that you can be strong because... I am with you. And I think this is an important place for hope that it doesn't matter if our future does not look as good as our past. That doesn't mean that God has left us. It doesn't mean that God has forsaken us. It doesn't mean that he's walked away, even though things are not as good now as they were back then. And that's God's first message to these people is I know it seems worse But don't be afraid. Be strong. And I love the words, I'm in your midst. There, the end of verse 5. I am in your midst. I remain among you. And even in all that you are going through, I'm still with you. So that's his first message that he gives to them. You can get through discouragement by knowing that I'm with you. But what he says next, I think, really takes the cake of defeating discouragement. Notice verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, declares the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Second message that now God wants to send through Haggai. And the message is this. I can still do greater works in the future. 
And I think that's is first drawn out by the fact that he describes essentially his sovereignty where he just says, you know what, the silver is, is mine, the gold is mine, essentially it's all mine, everything down there is mine. Don't think that I cannot accomplish great things in the future. Don't sit there in your present circumstances and say, God has no ability to do something in the future. Here he is going, I'm over all of that. I'm in charge of the gold and the silver and the all creation. And if I want there for there to be change, I can absolutely do it. And so he starts with his own sovereignty and tries to communicate to the people that if he wants to shake the world, he can shake it. If he wants to to loosen the nations, he can absolutely do it. He is in control over these things. And so do not think that God cannot accomplish his will or do great things in the future that everything is in his hands. Which makes what is, I think, particularly interesting about what God says here really important. What the people thought what God would do was wrong. That's an important aspect of what's happening at this moment. So here's the situation. The people are building this foundation. And they're looking at this temple that they're now in the process of constructing these last four weeks. And it appears that the future glory cannot be as good as what it was in the past. And unfortunately, it doesn't tell us what they were looking at. I don't know if they were looking at the size of the structure. I don't know if they were looking at the lack of gold. We know Solomon's was certainly opulent in what he built. We don't know if he's talking about when that temple was built in Solomon's day, the glory of the Lord filled it. And we know that's not going to happen here. Whatever aspect they are looking at, they are seeing it and saying, there's no way that there can be better glory ahead. And God says, actually, the future glory is going to be greater than what was in the past. Essentially, you're looking at this completely wrong. You're looking at it completely upside down. And the reason why I think that's something to consider is because what they are expecting is something direct and straightforward. Oh, look at the foundation or look at the size of the of the walls or look at the gold or look at these kinds of things. And God is essentially saying, I'm going to work something that you would not be able to believe. Essentially, what God is about to do is going to be radically different. We'll explain this phrase in a minute where he says in a little while, I'm once more, I'm going to shake the heavens And the earth and the sea and the dry land. Here's God saying, I'm going to do something so amazing, you won't even believe it. But that's, I think, sometimes our issue. Is sometimes we look at our future and go, well, because it's not in line with what I think it's going to be or the way it should be, then it can't be as glorious. And that's what these people are doing right now. So looking at what they're building and they're going, well, this isn't like Solomon's. And therefore, since it's not like Solomon's, it can't be very glorious. And God is saying, no, you've got it all wrong. What you are doing is actually going to be more glorious. It's going to have future glory beyond what existed in the past. And I think that is so important for us to get a a sense about because 
Sometimes what we have the tendency to do is to limit what God is able to do in the future. There's no way that God can can heal us like we talked about this morning. There's no way that God can right these wrongs. There's no way that God can take us into future glory. There's no way that he can fix this. There's no way that the future has any hope whatsoever. And you have a God who's always telling you, you know, I can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask or imagine. And I sit back and go, well, I can imagine a lot. And God goes, yeah, and I can beat that. And it doesn't matter what you can conjure up of what the way you think the future ought to be. Here is God saying, I can go way past that. And that's the essence of what he's describing here in this section. But because we can think that our future is not going to be as good, we can become discouraged and demoralized and disappointed. And God is saying, in just a little while, I'm going to do something you wouldn't believe. I'm going to, he says there in verse six, shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and the nations. End of verse seven. I will fill this house with glory. Verse nine, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So he said, there's so much more that's going to happen at this moment. So the thing that I think we have to ask at this moment to get a sense of what God is saying is, so how is it that this temple that Zerubbabel and Joshua are in charge of building, how is it going to be greater than the past glory of Solomon's? And I think what's interesting about this is the writer of Hebrews wants to answer that for you. (laughs) The writer of Hebrews comes along and quotes this very line to explain it. So I'm going to show you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, a context of them making sure that they listen to Jesus. How much more that we have now come to Mount Zion, that we are to listen to the very words of God. And so you have in Hebrews 12 and verse 25 says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, this is speaking back to Sinai and Moses, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Now that is recalling Sinai when God spoke the Ten Commandments and the mountain shook and burned and fire. And it was so terrifying that the people said, God cannot talk to us again. Moses needs to be our intercessor and you have Moses go up and tell, he'll tell us what God says. So at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And I put that in yellow because that's right here. That's what he says in a little while. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Well, what do you mean by that? The writer of Hebrews knew you had that question. Very next line. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. All right. What did you just tell us there? What were you trying to explain to us? I think it's a really important picture that is given to us. The summary issue is this. The things that have been made are going to need to be removed so that the things that had not been made 
things that are not shaken, that those things can be clearly seen, that those things can remain. And I would sum it up like this. If I'm supposed to understand what the writer of Hebrews is getting at, what God is saying to these people is that you need to build this temple. But guess what? If you put Zerubbabel's temple up against Solomon's temple, you're right. It doesn't have the same glory. Probably didn't have the same expensive resources that were being put on it. And we know that when Zerubbabel's temple was built, the glory of the Lord doesn't fill that temple like it did when Solomon completed his. But what is he telling them? Yeah, it's not going to have the same glory, but it's not going to have the same glory for a reason. And the reason is this. So that when Jesus comes as that new temple, the whole world is going to be able to observe the glory in him. That's what the writer of Hebrews is accomplishing. It's saying, listen, uh, here, the, the people, let's start with Haggai's day. The people in Haggai say, oh, this isn't going to be as glorious. And God's going, I know, but you have no idea what I'm going to do with that temple. You go ahead and build it. And don't worry about its lack of glory. Because the writer of Hebrews is looking at it and going, yeah, we need that so that it can be clear that when Jesus comes, that's the greater temple and that's the greater glory. That here you have, have God saying, I am doing something that you would never believe. And so here it is, is that the people are looking at their future all wrong and have absolutely no idea what great glory lied ahead. They didn't want to finish the temple because they had their eyes set on the wrong things. This isn't going very well. Doesn't seem like it's doing any good. It's not as glorious. There's not as much splendor. Why are we bothering? This isn't going to be as great. And God is saying, you have no idea what I'm about to do. In a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the nations and the sea and the dry land. And you will not believe the glory of the temple that is about to come. And this temple needs to be in place so that it can be the stepping stones for what I'm about to accomplish. But they're looking at it all wrong. And I submit to you that that is often our situation, is that we look in our present circumstances and we simply cannot see how there can be anything glorious in our future. So let's talk about defeating discouragement with the few minutes that we have left then. I think this idea of getting through trials and suffering and discouragement and and difficulty disappointment has a a few different facets for us to think about. And the first thing that I think can help us in our disappointment is to know that even when life seems so dark and it seems like there is no hope for the future and it doesn't seem like God could possibly do anything better in my life. Don't think that. That God could make that future glory be greater than anything that you could possibly imagine. That that is not outside the hands of God. I would submit to you that that is one of the critical messages of the book of Job. You know, sometimes you can read the book of Job a little bit wrong if you get a little simplistic and you realize, okay, well, he lost his ten children, he lost all of his wealth, but... But then at the end, chapter 42, he has 10 children, 10 new children, and he double the wealth. So see, it all works out. 
That's way too simplistic. You still lost 10 kids. You can't erase the pain of that. And you can't erase all of the loss that happened there. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have something in store for your future. That doesn't mean now, Job, the rest of your life is just ruined. You just need to, like his wife said, curse God and die because there's absolutely no hope for your future. That's not true. And that's what the book of Job is trying to show. That just because we can't see how doesn't mean it can't be. And I think that is very much the hardship of a trial. Is I can't see how things are going to get any better. I cannot see how it's going to improve. I cannot see how it is possible for my life to have any kind of change whatsoever. It's only going to be worse till the day I die. And if you've been through any kind of significant trial, you have felt that. And if you've talked with anybody who goes through a significant trial, that's what they're feeling. Is that all the glory and all the hope is in the past and there's nothing for the future for me. And that's why we're discouraged and depressed and demoralized. Is because the future has nothing. And God is always trying to show us the future can still have something. This future can still be great. And that's what you see Haggai telling these people. The glory that you cannot see lies ahead. Do the work that is given to you. But I want you to think about something that is striking about this promise. So the promise is the future glory will be greater than the, that former house. You know, those people didn't see that. Those people didn't see that. They built their temple. And what God was promising was something that the writer of Hebrews was putting his finger on about what Christ was going to accomplish about greater glory and a greater temple and a greater outcome. These people didn't see it. They weren't able to experience that. And it kind of reminds you about the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 when he speaks about all of these people who lived in faith and reminds them none of them saw the promises become fulfilled in their own lifetimes. And sometimes one of the things that we have to remember as we do our work is that we might just be step another stepping stone in the process or another brick in the wall as we work toward this future glory. That's what the writer uh, Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he's talking about, you know, we're all being built up as these stones in a spiritual house may not see great outcomes in that at the moment. You may not necessarily see great things and great work that can be done. And sometimes we can sit here and think about the work that God has called us to do and our work here in West Palm Beach and our work in the community and our work in the county and just think, well, you know, I just don't see what God's going to do. And you don't know what God's going to do. And just because we can't see something now or have a vision of how it could possibly be doesn't mean that our work is a failure. There's a lot of people, um, I thankfully have been here long enough to know some of those people at this point, who, who gave their time and their lives and their effort for the work here. And, and they never saw any glory about 
where we would get to. Uh, They never got to see us knock down a wall and start talking about expansions and things like that and see the work as it progressed and grew. But they were faithful to it. They were faithful that we need to do the work even though we don't see any particular outcome in our days. That we shouldn't be discouraged by our work together as the people of God simply because we ebb and flow and things go up and things go down and it doesn't seem very glorious right now. That should never slow us down. That we just might be another stepping stone for another generation to come in and enjoy future glory of the work that lies ahead for us. And that same principle is true in terms of our own individual lives is that I would encourage us to not give up on God simply because we think there is no way for God to do something glorious in our future. I wish I didn't know as many people that I know who gave up on God because life got really bad and the future did not seem to them to have any future glory whatsoever. They just looked at their life and went, well, there's no point. I'm not going to bother anymore. There's no reason to press on. There's no reason to push forward. And I think it is so important that we think about what God can possibly do and to never think, never think that the past was all the good that we could ever have. Never think that. You don't know what God has in store. You don't know what great things can lie ahead. I would have never looked at my life when I was 17, junior in high school at that point, or 18 or 19 or 20, and just kind of wrestling through it all at that time, living in the darkness and pretty hopeless and not really wanting to live much longer. And I would have never believed that God would be able to take the tremendous amount of wreckage that I feel like I experienced in my life and put me where I am right now. There was no light back then. There was no hope. There was no way the future could get better. It had all been lost. It had all been washed away. It had all been destroyed. Family is gone. It is ruined. Can't be anything good that lies ahead. Or there can. And sometimes you might have to walk a long time in the pain and the darkness. But there can be great things that lie ahead. You cannot give up on God. Because we think there's no way for God to do something with us in the future. And that leads to the second thing, which is very simple then. Don't let your discouragement take you from God. Just don't let your discouragement take you from God. When you're in those moments of of disappointment and discouragement, don't let that pull you away from God. That God is able to do great things. You get the sense as you read this that God coming to them and says, does it now seem to you like nothing? That they're just sitting there going, well, we just should give up. This is a waste. Why bother? And who doesn't feel that way? There are times of disappointment and discouragement and suffering. "Ah, why, Why bother? I'm done. Don't let your discouragement take you from God. And I want to leave you with this. 
Different doesn't necessarily mean inferior. Your future is going to be different. But that doesn't mean it has to be less glorious. And this temple they were going to build, and it's going to be different. And things are going to be different for him. But God was trying to tell them, that doesn't mean it's going to be less glorious. I have something in store. I'm going to work great things. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I am going to do something that you would not believe so that the nations will come in and that they would ultimately see the glory of God. It is possible that God can lead us in new paths, give us a new life that we had never planned, lead us to future glory as he walks with us in these days of disappointment and discouragement. And it would be my encouragement to each of us to pray for that future glory and rise up and do the work in your individual life as well as in this life as a church and a community together as we seek to serve the Lord. What will you do when you hit the season of life when you're discouraged? God came to these people and he said, I promised you I'm with you. I know it was a long time ago, But time doesn't change anything. I am with you. And I can do glorious things. So that though the future be different. It can be more glorious than what you had in the past. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord it is easy to. To feel the discouragement of these people that we read on the page as they were striving to do your will and to accomplish your work and felt like it was coming to nothing. That it seemed there was no reason. Seemed like things could not possibly be as good. And God, I pray that for any of us who are in the season of discouragement and disappointment, that you would come to them in this moment and let them know that you are with them and that it is possible for you to do great things in the future. And Lord, we, we put our faith in you and we know that you are sovereign over this universe and we cannot begin to understand how you move pieces around in this world so that your will is accomplished. And Lord, we often feel like we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we feel like we are in the darkness. And we can feel alone. We can feel like you've left us. We can feel crushed and burdened and weighed down and not want to take another step. God, I pray that in those times you would lift us up. And give us the vision that we need of future glory. Help us to see that you can do great things in our lives. Help us to see how, though it be different, it can be glorious. Help us to always know that you can accomplish great things into our future. And Lord, give us the strength when we are dismayed to rise up and do the work to continue to serve you each day. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us in our work here as this local church, as we try to reach the lost souls and we try to show your light to the world. And it can be discouraging as we go through different seasons and go through difficulties. We go through periods of resistance and rejection. Lord, I hope that you would encourage our faith and strengthen our hearts for the work that lies ahead. Help us to see that we can have great things that we can accomplish in this area for your glory 
for your honor and for your good. Lord, forgive us for the times that we may have walked away or we have felt like you were not with us. Forgive us for that. And Lord, thank you for being a wonderful father who always receives us back when we turn our hearts back to you. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus and find hope and encouragement in him. Life is discouraging. Life is painful. Life is hard. We need God to walk with us in those times of difficulty. You can defeat discouragement if you'd see him walk with you through the difficulties of your life. If we can help you in any way to do that, we want you to come now while we stand and while we sing.